Welcome to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You know, when our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend, Kelly, were in a fatal car accident, we desperately needed to talk to those ahead of us in a similar journey. We needed them to come alongside of us, and we needed them to call back with help and hope. And that is one of the reasons for this podcast. It is to offer to others that same help and hope we received when there were people who were willing to step back into their grief to help us. You may be like we were, desperate for someone to walk with you in a dark place. You may feel very lonely and isolated, or as others have told us, stories like the one you are about to hear remind you that just as God has been faithful to this person, he will be faithful to you. I'm Sharon Betters, the co-host of the Help and Hope podcast, and today's guest is Robin Davenport. Robin's son, Justin, gradually changed from a kind, engaged husband, a father, and a son into a man his family did not recognize. He lost his family and was imprisoned before doctors finally diagnosed him with frontotemporal dementia, or young onset dementia. At first, you might think this is a heartbreaking story, and it is but Robin offers light in the darkness and she wants you to know Justin's story. So Robin, welcome. Thank you. Robin, before we jump into Justin's story, which is also your story, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Robin Davenport and we live in the beautiful North Georgia mountains. My husband is Wesley Davenport. He is a preacher and has pastored currently we're going to our home church and teaching Sunday school. We were married in 1983, uh, February. We're about to celebrate our 39th wedding anniversary on February the 18th. We have been blessed with two beautiful children, Justin, who is now deceased, and then Julia, our daughter, and we have three beautiful granddaughters. Well, I resonate with the beautiful granddaughters because we have uh, 14 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren and one great-granddaughter on the way. So I know the joy that you have with those children is, I know it has to be such a blessing to you, especially in the hard places. They Aren't they like medicine for your Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes I hug them and I say, I can just feel it. I feel the strength. Remind you that life goes on. That's right. And there's, yeah. there is a reason why we need to choose life because yes. and to be life givers. And, and Robin, you are a life giver. And I know those of you who are listening, I know God is going to touch your heart with Robin's story and you're going to be encouraged and be hopeful in how God keeps his promises. So Robin, tell us a little bit about your son, Justin. Justin was born in 1983, September, 1983. He was a very active child. He loved to play outdoors. He was a hunter and a fisherman, always did well in school, loved to ride motorcycles, four-wheelers, that type thing. Started working when he was 14, always had a good work ethic, got married in uh, 2005 to the love of his life. And then he, he and his wife had two beautiful daughters. His occupation was carpentry mostly. And also he worked in the mines and he did a side uh, lawn mowing business. You know, when you talk about your son, I think about my own sons and I know some of your story. And so hearing you describe him, just a, a wonderful young man, a child, I can't imagine 
how you felt when you saw him changing. So when did you start noticing that something had changed with Justin? We started in hindsight. You have with this disease, a lot of it comes in hindsight. We can look back to 2014 and see some distance, him starting to distance himself and lose track of time. And then as time went on through that, we call the pre-diagnosis stage, he began to be aggressive and he had never, never been an aggressive person. You know, again, I'm trying to imagine being in your situation and how frustrating and desperate you must have been to try to get through to him and to try to help him say, wait a minute, Justin, what's, what's, what are you doing? Uh, You know, that the way you're behaving isn't right. So you have mentioned his disease. What is that disease called? What, what was he finally diagnosed with? Behavior variant, frontal temporal degenerative brain disease. The short acronym is FTD. And what, what does that mean? How did it show up in Justin's life? The first symptoms, again, in hindsight, are the difficulty with communication. He, he, he just wasn't talking. He'd always been real quiet, but this was different. And then the loss of self-control and then starting to lose some executive functioning. Those three things contributed to the loss of his marriage, loss of employment, and then his first two arrests, and then an involuntary stay on the crisis stabilization unit. You've shared some of the details of that time, and I keep going back to being a mother of adult sons and the heartache mm-hmm. that you had to have experienced. And we want to talk about how you found your way through that. But first, why was it so hard for you to get a diagnosis? I think you said it was like, how long was it before you got a diagnosis? And why was it so hard? Why is it so hard for anyone to get a diagnosis for this disease? It took four years to get the correct diagnosis from the time of onset. And the reason, the average time it takes is 3.6 years for someone, especially someone young with FTD. And the reason is it mimics mental health. It mimics just, you know, bad behavior. And something's going on. You know, you don't know who this person is, what's what's happening. I mean, you know them, but you don't know why they're behaving in this way. So you look at spiritual reasons, you look at emotional reasons, you look at mental health. But to think that someone in their young 30s has dementia, that doesn't even enter your mind. Yeah. And it apparently doesn't even enter the minds of uh, the medical world. Because he, as you said, it's sometimes mental illness, like schizophrenia or something like that. And their treatment, I would think sometimes might exasperate the problems as they give medication, trying to treat the symptoms, but not really getting to the root of the problem. What impact did Justin's journey have on you personally during that time? I mean, how describe some of your feelings. Hopelessness. What is happening? Trying to find an answer. A lot of living in crisis mode. My heart was broken over the breakdown of his marriage, what it was doing to my granddaughters, looking for answers, trying to, you know, find a a fix, something to fix him. And when you say that, um, no doubt you prayed fervently, you prayed fervently for him. And yet every day looks like, where is God? Did you feel that way? I mean, how, what kind of an impact did you have, did that have on your faith? 
my faith was strengthened because I would think, Lord, I've got to have you no matter what. And, and every bit of news we received was only bad. It only got worse. And we had to cling to the Lord more, more fervently. We had to hold on to him more tightly. I remember, you know, struggling with a lot of emotions. And, you know, when your son is in jail and there may be things said in the community and, you know, people saying things about him and, and hurtful things, we just hung on to the Lord that we had to have him. I remember thinking, Lord, no matter what, I have got to have you through this. I have got to have you. You mentioned, uh, you know, people talking, and I think this is a cautionary tale for all of us to be very careful about coming to judgments when we don't have a clue as to what the real story is. Did you feel isolated? Did you have a circle of friends or family that you could turn to? Yes. Yes. My husband is a wonderful, wonderful support. Our daughter, she knew this was not her brother. And also my, my work family. They, I work with adults with developmental disabilities. So we all are accustomed to, you know, working with people with disabilities and everyone could see there is something not right here. And they were so encouraging to me and working with parents of adults with developmental disabilities. That group, oh, I cannot begin to explain how much they were encouraging to me. And also our church family, you've got to have a church family during a time like this. They come alongside you, they pray for you, they love you and support you. As you've described Justin's journey, you just, like you said, every day was bad news. You hit wall after wall. What happens to people who don't have advocates? Like Justin had you and your husband as his advocates. So you were, I'm sure, constantly talking to doctors and trying to get them to not settle for Justin. What, what is it like for families who don't have someone in Justin's situation with that disease who doesn't have an advocate? Where do they end up? That's a good question. And given my experience with developmental disabilities, and, the, and I'm a social worker, that's my profession, they end up somewhere institutionalized with the state support. And they, I go back in time, you know, it was an MRI that revealed that Justin had brain atrophy. And I go back in time and think about people who have had this disease before, the old name for it's Pick's disease. And I wonder how many died in an institution and people just thought they'd lost their minds, that they never knew that this was a brain disease. And you had to fight for that MRI for Justin. Yeah. Yeah. His psychiatrist on the forensic unit at the state uh, psychiatric hospital, she had a child to die of Tay-Sachs disease at eight years old, which is another form of a degenerative brain disease. So she, she was just placed there by God, you know, in his providence. And she saw very quickly that this was not schizoaffective disorder. There was something going on in his brain was her words to me. And she advocated for him to get the MRI, which is hard to do in the criminal justice system. And Robin, I know that's one of the reasons why you want Justin's story to be told, even though yes. it's very fresh, his, his, very, very fresh. Um, but you want other families to get help before you did 
for them to be yes. aware that, that, you know, to push and insist on getting those medical tests done. Don't just assume if that, that, that they, every, like you said, there's, it's almost like a dumping ground. Well, this has to be mental illness, but sometimes yes. it may be rare, but sometimes it is not. And yeah, because of a medical, a medical physical change in the person's body and listeners, that's one reason why Robin is willing to share a story. You might be thinking, wow, why does she is, I think that about all of our guests, I'm so amazed at their willingness to be so transparent, but it's because they care about you and they care about others who are in similar situations. And so a takeaway from Robin would be push your doctors to get those tests, fight for those tests for your family member. You may, it may end up that it doesn't show the same things. We certainly hope not, but still it gives you a clue and a key in how to get the kind of treatment that that loved one needs. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your faith. And one of the things that you've told me, well, you, you shared with us that Justin's life drew you closer. It, it pushed you toward Jesus. You said that grieving for you has become a cycle of wrestling and rest. What do you mean by that? With a progressive degenerative brain disease, you lose a little bit at a time. And so many things we lost of Justin a little at a time. For example, something that's coming to my mind is he lost his completely lost his ability to talk in the fall of 2018. And so accepting that this is gone, grieving with it, wrestling with it, giving into it and and saying, okay, Lord, now I'm ready to move on. I accept that, that this is now gone in this life, in this life. I remember the last time that I realized Justin would not walk, take a walk with me anymore. This was maybe a couple of weeks before he passed away. And he and I loved, we would walk here beside our house. And that was a real important time for me. And I believe for him too. And I remember going and taking a shower and just crumbling and and saying, Lord, that's the last time I'll ever walk with my child. And I just had to cry that out and give it to the Lord. And then, okay, this is where we're at now. And then move forward. I, you know, as one who has lost her child and has grieved deeply and the wrestling that I believe we wrestled. I wrestled to reconcile God's love with his sovereignty. I really love what you're saying is because grief is this huge, huge, deep, deep hole. And to be able to identify pieces of the losses, because the losses, it doesn't end with the person's death. You know, it, it, uh, there are losses that continue, no. and continue and continue. But to be able to identify so specifically, I think when you're going through that, that long goodbye, which, you know, has been yes. talked about with other things, that's what you went through with Justin, but to be able to to deal with each one specifically, I think that's really good counsel and practical help for someone who is feeling totally overwhelmed. And, and you might say, well, I'm grieving, you know, because I lost my husband or, or uh, I lost my child. Why do I need to identify it? And maybe at first you don't. But to be able to say specific things, I think is, is uh, really helpful. And that, so that wrestling and rest that gives you kind of a break in that enormous grief. When you cared for Justin, you, you shared with me that God gave you this incredible gift 
And I, I just need you to talk about that because I was blown away by your perspective on that period in Justin's life. So what happened? You were able to bring him home and care for him. Why was that such a precious time for you? Well, Justin was on the forensic unit for 20 months. And that that's in Atlanta, which is, it's 130 miles from our house. So we made weekly trips there and back plus working, plus my husband was pastor in a church. So that was a very busy time. And always going to bed wondering, what's Justin doing tonight? What's he doing today? You know. So when we brought him home, August 30th, 2019, I call that a space of grace. I like to identify times. I like, if I can identify experiences such as the ever-changing new normal, that we're living in and and things like that it helps me to get perspective so we brought him home and we got to be still for a while we got to enjoy the funny little things you know like he went in he he got a hold of my grandfather's ties and he put like three or four on at one time and then he had baseball hats he loved baseball hats and he would have two or three on his head at one time And my husband and I, we loved those moments. We got to see those precious moments and and finding the joy in that. You know, the do-overs, I I call them do-overs. Justin's last birthday was September 13th, 2021. And I got him up that morning. I said, Justin, do you want birthday cake and ice cream for breakfast? And his eyes kind of lit up. And you learn how to, you know, read their communication. So he got to have cake and ice cream for breakfast. That's a do-over. That's those things you don't do when they're a child. Oh no, I would never do that, you know, but we got a chance for do-overs. And although he was 230 pounds and six foot three, he was our little baby again. And he regressed backwards. So Wesley and I got to just love all over him. And during that time, I, I developed interest in flowers and gardening and photography, God's creation became more real to me than ever. I mean, I didn't used to notice sunsets and sunrises. And now that's all I look at, you know, that brings me so much comfort. So I I counted 510 nights during that time that we got to put Justin to bed and tell him Jesus loves him. So it was a precious time. And I'm very moved by your description of that time. And I don't know how aware he was, you know, that he could see the gift of that time, but for you and your husband to be able to have that precious time and the perspective that rather than looking at each day as a burden and as a, a horror, you were able, as you, as you talked about to rest in what God was doing in, in each day to see that and, and the losses to be able to identify them, to weep over them. And then to look for those moments of joy for your son. I just, it's just a supernatural description of that period in your life. Thank you, Robin, for sharing that with us. And one of the things that you had told me about this disease is that toward the end, as you said, they regress. They like, he went from being very aggressive to how would you describe it? Just meek and mild and and just precious, Mm. absolutely precious. There's an innocence in his eyes during that time that, you know, it, it's just amazing. It's like a baby. 
that innocent look in his eyes, all the turmoil was gone, all the, you know, emotional heartache he went through, it was gone. You had shared with me that he was married with two children and his yes. marriage, he lost his wife. Um, but yes. before he died, they were reconciled you were able to reconcile with the family and everyone was able to be there when uh, Justin died. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, The last few days of his life, which my granddaughters were involved the entire time, you know, they went to visit him in jail. They visited him at the forensic unit. When we took him out, you know, here at home, they spent a lot of time here with him when he came home. And those last few days, the girls and his ex-wife were here quite a bit. And then his last few hours, we were all gathered around his bed. We prayed, we sang songs, we reminisced, we cried, we laughed, and we were right there with him mm-hmm. when he took his last breath. And what a gift that you were all together. How has Justin's life shaped your mission and, and purpose in your own life? I believe that the main thing I have learned is about God's sovereignty. And to get that message out, he he walks with us. Yeah, I wrote some things down that really helped me, some statements that I hung on to. The will of God will never take you, or the grace of God will not sustain you. To share that message that it won't, his grace is always even more than sufficient to meet every need. And another one is a, a quote by Betsy Ten Boom from a German concentration camp. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. It cushions every loss. And John Piper teaches a series on Job. And that helped me with a firm foundation, the sovereignty of God. It Pain is temporary. That's another one. Pain is temporary. We have eternity waiting on us. We've got to keep that eternal perspective. That's what will carry us through. You know, in the book of Job, Satan couldn't do anything to Job that God did not give him permission to do. Everything we go through goes through the hands of God. And that's what gave me comfort in the worst times that I had to have him. He, you know, though he slay me, I will trust in him. And that's the message I want people to know. Well, as we are wrapping up, and Robin, thank you so much for sharing Justin's story. As we have spoken earlier, I just know that God is preparing hearts and that I know when I would struggle with losing our son and I would turn to the scriptures and I would feel as though, and some devotionals, and there were times I would feel as though when that person was writing that devotional 50 years ago, God had me in mind for yes, that message. Understand. Um, yes. yes. And I believe that about our conversation. I believe that there's someone who is going to hear this, who is going to say, the Lord prepared this just for me. We call it treasures in the darkness, you know, where he says he will send us those treasures in the darkness, riches stored in secret places so that we will know he is the Lord, our God, the one who calls us by name. So he's wholly yes. other, but he's right here with us. And I, that's what I hear you saying so clearly. And I pray that the Lord will, I know that he is going to take this message into the hearts that need to hear it desperately. And Justin's story goes on. 
it's an ever widening circle of his legacy that uh, through you, the grace of God is flowing into the lives of others. I'm Sharon Batters and Robin Davenport has been my guest today. And I know that God is already using what you've heard to touch your heart. And I pray that you will share it with others. If you want to get in touch with Robin, uh, it's possible that you're in the same situation that she has described, or you have a loved one, you don't know what to do. Uh, Robin wants Justin's story to bear great fruit. And that is why she is sharing it with us today. And so you can contact Robin through markgink.org. Just go to markinc.org and use the contact us link and we will make sure to get that message to Robin. Go to markinc.org where you can hear more stories like Robin's. I hope that you will share this story and other stories. And again, you can contact Robin through markinc.org. Again, I'm Sharon Betters. Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. And I pray that as you all go about your daily life, you will remember that God is sovereign and you can trust him. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.